Let's pray. Father, you are the only one in the universe who is worthy of our worship. You're the only one in the universe who's worthy of any worship. You, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, you, the triune God, you are worthy of our worship. And Lord, you created us so that we would worship you, so that we would find our deepest joy in singing our praises to you. And I pray that you would come right now and show us this, Lord, from from your word as we look at Psalm 16. Lord, this is a powerful text, and I ask that you join us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. The reason you exist is to know and to enjoy God. It's common for Christians to wonder whether they truly know God. It's, it's, a, it's a question that you face. You know, am, am I truly a born-again Christian? Am I truly saved? And, and that's a really important question for you to ask. And a great litmus test question to ask yourself, you know, to, to know whether you truly know God, is to ask yourself, would I want to go to heaven if Jesus were not there? It's a great question to ask because... I'm afraid that some of you in this room and millions of Americans are using Jesus as a ticket. Because when you go to the show, you need this to get into the show. You can't sneak in without the ticket. And so you hear that Jesus is the way to, to heaven, the way to God, and, and you take the ticket, and what do you do with the ticket when you go to the show? You don't need it anymore because the ticket has no value to you. So you rip it apart and you throw it away. That's what millions of people are doing in the, in, in the world we live in. And, and you know that you have truly come to know God if you treasure Jesus more than anything in this world. That's when you know that you know God. You treasure him. You don't use him as a ticket. You see him as the treasure. And the text that we're going to look at today in this sermon is a text of a man who praises God. He's overflowing with joy out of his love for God. And this is King David, the king of Israel, who, who, who sings his praises to God. And you know what is amazing about this? If you know God, you have the same capacity for joy that David had. And, and, and we're going to see how much joy that he had because he knew God. And he knows God today. Turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm chapter 16. If you're using a Red Pew Bible, it's on page 453. Psalm 16. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones, in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lions have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful 
inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also, my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad, and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. The only everlasting joy in the universe is to know and love God. The only everlasting joy in the universe is to know and to love God. In this text, in Psalm 16, this is a passage where where King David is worshiping God. And there's no question, when you look at this, you see, okay, this man loves God. There's no doubt about it. And as he is praising God, what comes to his mind at the beginning is that he sees the miseries of those who do not know God, of those who do not love God, and and of those who have traded their love for God for something else. You know, and as king, he sees lots of people like this. And this is what he says in verse 2. David says, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. David came to the realization in his life that nothing good in his life existed apart from God. God was what he needed. And in verse 4, he gives this warning. He says, The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. He he saw people reaching, searching, going after other gods. And what he saw is that their life ends in sorrow. These people valued something in their life more than God. And this is point one this morning. Not loving the Lord leads to only sorrow. Not loving the Lord leads to only sorrow. So so my question to you is, what do you value most? What in your life can't you live without? What constantly dominates your thoughts? These are your idols. These are the things that want you to worship them. And you have a master. It's either God, it's, it's either the one true God of the universe, or it's something else. It, it can be a million other things, but, but it's either one of two things. It's either God, or it's something else. And idols are God's gifts that you worship. You take God's gifts that are meant for good and instead of, instead of enjoying them and, and giving praise to God, what you do is you worship them. You worship these gifts. And idols, they're not bad things. They're good things. They're your family, your job. Your, it could be your ministry. The ministry that you serve in the church can be your idol. Things that appear so good on the outside, they can, th- these things can destroy you. They can lead to sorrow. 
And what we read in Matthew 6.24 is that you can't have two masters. No one can serve two masters. For he will either hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So you can't say, okay, God, I'm going to worship you, and I'm going to worship something else. And I'm going to worship both of you equally. No. It's either your allegiance is to God or it's to something else. It's either you're 100% in or you're 100% out. And we praise what we love most. And what we see here in the psalm is that David is praising what he loves most. And 20th century author C.S. Lewis, he pondered, you know, C.S. Lewis, a very deep thinker, he pondered why men praise. In his experience, he said, I had never noticed that all enjoyment spontaneously overflows in praise. The world rings with praise. Lovers praising their mistresses, readers their favorite poet, walkers praising the countryside, players praising their favorite game, praise of weather, wines, dishes, actors, motors, horses, colleges, countries, historical personages, children, flowers, mountains, rare stamps, rare beetles, even sometimes politicians or scholars. Then Lewis looked at the psalm and noticed how much praise existed in this psalm. And he says, The psalmist, in telling everyone to praise God, are doing what all men do when they speak of what they care about. We praise what we value. We worship what we treasure most. So look at your life and say, what do I treasure most? And then ask yourself, is it God or is it something else? And, and look over your life right now. What have, been, what have been the happiest moments of your life? When we all have those those milestone moments where we think we were at our happiest, where nothing in, in, nothing in the world was wrong and, and you're full of joy. What has been the happiest moments? Was it your greatest achievements? Your wedding day? The birth of your first child? Your, your grandchildren? The birth of your grandchildren? Getting the job you've always wanted? Your graduation day? These are happy moments in your life, and they need to be celebrated. And you know what's amazing about these, these moments in your life? When they happen to you, no one told you to be happy. You just were. You're overflowing with joy when, when these experiences happen to you in your life. This is the way God wires us. This is the way God wires emotions. Is that no one, like when you're walking down a hallway and someone pops out of the end of it and scares you. No one tells you to be terrified. You are. That's the way God wires us. And that's the way joy works. That you become joyful when you're around what you treasure. So when you're in the presence of God, you tre- and if you treasure him, you're going to overflow with joy and it's going to show in your life. The same excitement you have for these celebrations in life, do you have this same joy for God? When these exciting times happen, do you praise the giver of the gifts or do you enjoy the gifts as an end in themselves? 
And that's the question, and that's how you know if you're committing idolatry. If you worship and if you're excited about the gifts as an end in itself, then that's idolatry. But if you enjoy the gifts and you give praise to the giver of the gifts, that's healthy. That's worship. Because we can't see God, but we can see the gifts that he gives us. And so when we enjoy these things, give praise to God, and that's the way God created you to be. That's the way he created you to praise him. And once you come to know God, and I know that many of you have experienced this in your life, you no longer treasure what you used to treasure. And you can say with David here that I have no good apart from you. Things that used to seem so attractive don't seem that attractive anymore. When, when you're overflowing with the joy that comes from God. Once you have tasted that the Lord is good, nothing competes with him. He's, he is at the top. You can't go any higher. Do, do you know these people in your life who they have everything? Everything that they touch turns to gold. Everything in their life is perfect. And then, have you ever thought about going up to those people and saying, you know what, you think you have everything, but you don't have Jesus. You don't have Jesus. You're missing something. You're missing the most important thing. And because you don't have that, you have nothing. Have you ever thought about going up to those people? You know, and maybe you're one of those people. <laughs> maybe, maybe you're the one where everything good is happening to you. And, but go to those people and tell them that Jesus is a trade-up. He's a trade-up from, from everything in this universe, no matter how good these things may seem in the present. Jesus' disciples understood this. The story in John chapter 6 when Jesus feeds the thousands and he's turning this physical idea of feeding the crowds and the disciples and he turns it into a spiritual reality. He's saying, this is the bread that perishes. I'm the bread that doesn't perish. And the crowds thought he was crazy. Like, what is this guy talking about? He just fed us. What in the world is he saying? Jesus' disciples understood that there was nowhere else to go. And because they thought he was crazy, because of the way he was talking, all these crowds left him. It says in John 6, After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. The disciples knew, Peter knew, that to leave Jesus is a trade down. To leave Jesus leads to only sorrow. And so, when all these people left him, he said, you know what, there is nowhere else to go. And, and, and if you know Jesus today, you can say that. You know, I, I've tried all of these things in my life and none of them satisfied me, but Jesus did and there's nowhere else to go. I'm with you, Jesus, for the long haul because you're the only one who can satisfy me. And you can say that just as Peter said it here. Traveling down the path of joy, also it also places you in the best position possible. And this leads us to point two. Loving the Lord will make you indestructible forever. Loving the Lord will make you indestructible forever. In verses five through eight, David writes of God's goodness toward him. 
He says, the Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. He says, the lions have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. And then he, th- he thanks the Lord for, for the counsel that he gives him. He says, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also, my heart instructs me. And then in verse 8, he says, I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is in my right hand, I shall not be shaken. In these four verses, David tells of the goodness that God has shown him in his life. David is rejoicing over this goodness. He's rejoicing over God's provision in his life. And because of God's goodness and this provision that he has shown him, This causes David to say what he says in verses 9 and 10. He says, My heart is glad, and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. David is undoubtedly overflowed with joy toward God. Do you praise God for the goodness that he shows you in your life? When you wake up every day, do you see every day as a gift? When, when God gives you breath in your mouth, when you wake up, when your alarm clock goes off and you get up for breakfast, do, do you give thanks to God for that? How about when you sit down for a meal? Do you, do you give God thanks for your daily bread? More importantly, do you give God thanks? You know, if you are here today and you know Christ, do you give God thanks? Do you give him praise that he has saved you, that he has given you salvation, that your sins are wiped away, that you're a heaven-bound person. Do you give God praise for that? I hope you do. I hope I do. Because if we're not, we are not fulfilling the reason that we exist. We exist to glorify God. We exist to, to give praise to God. And because of this reality... Because of the reality that you know God and that you are secure in Christ. You know, Jesus says, Jesus promises that if, you, that if you come into a relationship with God through him, that you are secure. He says, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Jesus is speaking about those who have given their life over to him. And, and they're eternally secure. No one can, you can't even snatch yourself out of his hand. Satan can't. The world can't. You are secure in Christ. Do you give God praise for this? This ought to lead you to overflowing with joy. And John Kelvin says, he makes a point here, that the only people who can be, who actually have the ability to truly be joyful in the, in the world are those who know God. He says, Calmly to rejoice is the lot of no man but of him who has learned to place his confidence in God alone and to commit his life and safety to his protection. So the only people who can truly rejoice are those who know God. And we see this all the time. We see people who seem to have it all, but they don't have God. And they're miserable. And the world wonders, why are they miserable? It's a mystery. And... Some of you can, can think back to the 1990s, it's not that far away, when Michael Jordan was the most popular athlete in the world. And there was a, there was a slogan at that time that said, be like Mike. 
you know, everybody, everybody wanted to be like Michael Jordan. And this was back in the day when Jordan and Larry Bird were making those McDonald's commercials. I mean, they were, they were shooting those crazy shots from the rafters. And uh, Jordan was the most popular athlete, you know, in the world. And he recently had a birthday. He turned 50 years old back in February. And ESPN writer Wright Thompson uh, caught up with him to check in to see Jordan and, and to see how his life is now. And everything in the article that he wrote points to Jordan being miserable, um, to being very unhappy. And Jordan said about his time playing basketball, he said, I wish I was playing right now. I would give up everything now to go back and play the game of basketball. And he was asked by Thompson, how do you replace it? He said, you don't. You learn to live with it. And this is a man who won six NBA titles, five MVP awards, multiple gold medals from the Olympics, uh, millions upon millions of dollars, more money than we can ever imagine. And what we see here is evidence that he tried to fill his life with basketball. You know, Jordan, like me, like you, and like everybody in this world, was created in the image of God. And you can only be satisfied by God. You can only be satisfied by an eternal God. You, you have been given a soul that will never die. And it can only be filled by an eternal God. And this is what Jordan is missing. See, basketball is a game that was invented in the late 19th century by a guy from Kansas by the name of James Nay Smith, where he built two iron rims on each end of the court with a leather ball, and whichever team scores more points wins. This isn't going to satisfy anybody. I mean, I mean it, it doesn't take a genius to figure this out. And, and if you think about our idols, this is how stupid it is. We are created for so much more than this. We're created, the very one who created all the planets, all the stars in the heavens, who created you and me. If you, I mean, if you look at the mirror and you look at your eyes, I mean, look at, and think about the, the reality of what is inside your head, your brain. I mean, think of the one who created that. That's the one who can satisfy us. Not these stupid games and these stupid things that we think can fill us up. And if you don't have God, you have to fill yourself up, up with something. Otherwise, you'll be miserable. And those who have this relationship with God, who know him, are indestructible, and you will live forever. And this is what we see in the second half of verse 9, where David says, My flesh also dwells secure. David knows that the Lord will not abandon him. He knows that his, his body will be secure. He knows that when he dies, when his soul leaves his body, that the Lord isn't going to lose track of where his body is. They will reunite one day. David knows this and he has confidence in God. Do you have this confidence about your resurrection one day? David isn't just talking about himself here either. This is the amazing part about this text, is that he is being prophetic. If you look at this text, Jesus is in this text. Look at verse 10. David says, you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. The Holy One that this text is referring to is Jesus. This is amazing. This is what, when, when the prophets in the Old Testament wrote, the Holy Spirit was the one who was, who was inspiring their words. 
And as the writers were writing, they didn't know the big, they, didn't, they couldn't see how everything was going to play out, but they knew something prophetic was happening in this text. And this is what 1 Peter 1, 10, and 11 says about Old Testament prophets and their writing. It says, concerning the salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. So the prophets of the Old Testament, like David in this passage, was prophesying about the coming Messiah, the long-promised Messiah who would save Israel and who would save the world. And we know that this is, that this is referring to Jesus because of what Peter and Paul say in the New Testament. They say this is, that this is referring to Jesus. Peter says at the sermon at Pentecost, he says, Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus, this Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. And Paul said later on, he says, Therefore, he says in another psalm, You will not let your Holy One see corruption. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he, whom God raised up, did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. So both of them are pointing to the fact. They said David was buried his body has corrupted. But Jesus, he was only in the tomb. He, he, he was placed in the tomb Friday. And he was raised from the dead on Sunday. He wasn't in the tomb very long. He was in the tomb for maybe 36 hours. His body did not corrupt in that time. His body would not see corruption, as the Old Testament prophets predicted. Your life with Christ is indestructible. Because even death will not end your relationship with him. Because the one who was raised from the dead will also raise you from the dead if you know Jesus today. If you see yourself as a sinner and you see that you need a Savior, if you're trusting that, then you will be raised from the dead one day as well. And this indestructible life that you have in Christ is also the most joyful. And this brings us to point three. Loving the Lord will maximize your joy forever. Loving the Lord will maximize your joy forever. This might be one of the greatest verses in, in the Bible. Verse 11. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. True, everlasting joy only comes through knowing God. And the only way to know God is through Jesus Christ. If someone comes to you and they tell you, I know the way to God. I know how you can come into a relationship with the creator of this place that we live in. You know that they're lying. You know that that's a false teacher because, as it says in Acts, there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus is the only one who leads you into a relationship with God. And what we see in verse 11 here is that 
uh, in your presence there is fullness of joy. Who, who is David referring to here? He's referring to, he's referring to God. He's singing a praise here to God. And he says, in the presence of God, there is fullness of joy. So in God's presence, the joy reaches the maximum level. It reaches the top of the glass. It's not a half full joy. It's a, it's a maximum joy. And Jesus, who is God himself, he is the God-man, he offers this joy as well. And this is what he says in John 15, 11. He says, I have spoken these things to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So this same joy that's offered in Psalm 16, Jesus offers it. And why is that? Because he, Jesus is God and the one whom David is praying to here is God. It comes from, it comes from that source, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the triune God. The Jews in John 6 wanted food. The story that I told you about earlier, where, where Jesus fed the thousands. And this food that, that they wanted could only satisfy them temporarily. And if you think about it, after this service today, all of you are going to go out and eat lunch somewhere, probably, or you're going to eat lunch at home, save some money. But what's going to happen is you're going to eat, and this food, it'll satisfy you you know, for maybe an hour or two. And then you might have to have a mid-afternoon snack. And then you're going to have to eat dinner. Food, it, it's, that's the interesting thing about food, is that it only temporarily satisfies us. And this is why Jesus uses this metaphor. Because he makes himself, he calls himself the bread of life. He says this in John 6.35. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And later on, Jesus says, he, he, he describes himself being eaten, you know, which, which, which isn't actually literally eating him, but, but believing in him. If you believe in him, you will never go hungry. You will never go thirsty. You will be satisfied if you believe in Christ. God offers you something this world cannot offer you. Earthly pleasure is temporary. And no matter how great things in this world may seem, it it will ultimately leave you unsatisfied. And the things that temporarily satisfy you, they really don't satisfy you. It's it's an artificial satisfaction that is taking place. You think it satisfies you, but it doesn't. God promises that he will give you a joy and a pleasure that will never end. And, And this joy, as we have seen, is this maximum joy that he offers. God offers you this eternal treasure. And if you're here today and you have this, you need to rejoice. Rejoice that you have this. This is, an ama- this is more amazing than anything in the universe. Rejoice. If you don't have it, you can have it. Jesus says, anyone who comes to me, I will never cast out. If you want this, you have it. And, and th- what's happened is that you are a sinner and you have been separated from God. You are a rebel from God. Uh, the Bible says that by nature you are a child of wrath. Uh, you, don't, you hate God. Naturally, you hate God. You do not love God. But once you, you see his goodness towards you and, the, and, and that he sent his son on your behalf and you want it, you, you don't hate God anymore. You love God. And nothing is more amazing in this world than coming to know God. So if you want Jesus, you can have him. And, and there are people here who have crossed that point and they would love to talk with you.
and there's going to be an elder who would love to talk to you. But don't even wait till I'm done talking. Receive it now. Take it now. So how does this joy you experience out of your love for God change the way you live? How does this affect your everyday life? And I, and I have five applications as to how this joy affects the way you live every day. Application number one, this joy that comes from knowing God gives you long-term victory over sin. I remember Pastor Dave used to tell me, trade pleasure for pleasure. So when you know God, the pleasure is superior to the pleasure that you used to find in sin. And so because it supersedes it, this seems unattractive and all you want is this. This was the problem with David when he sinned with Bathsheba. David sinned. What he said is, restore to me the joy of your salvation. So David knew that he lost that joy and that's why he fell into sin. And when you sin... It's probably because you forgot the joy that you have in God and you went after something that you thought would fill that, but it doesn't. It leaves you miserable. Point number two, you can obey God's commands without them being a burden. And every false religion tells you, you know, do good works and God will look down on you and he will see what you do and, and he'll let you into heaven. And that's not true. Because when you become a Christian, you're already saved. You're already going to heaven. You're, you're already rejoicing of the salvation that God has given you. And out of that overflow of joy, all you want to do is live for him. That's the reason that you breathe. That's the reason you, you want to live for him. And he gives you that ability by his grace to live for him. That's what 1 John 5, 3 says. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Application number three, you can become an encouragement to others. You can be an encouragement to others. John 7.38 says, Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Do you know those people in your life who constantly encourage you? You know, when you're going through a tough day, like, I need to talk to this person, you know, because they're they're that encouraging person. The reason that that person is encouraging is because, is because they have this joy that comes from God. You don't want to know that person apart from God. It, it's, it's the goodness that God has shown them. It's the joy that God has given them that gives them that gift. You know, I think of Brian Stout. That's what he's like. And, and, that, and it's, not because it's, Brian, it's not because Brian has that in him. It's because he knows God and he has this joy that overflows. Number four, you have the ability to genuinely love others. For the first time. First John 4.12 No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Unbelievers can't truly love. And the reason that is um, is because there's, there's always something below the reason that they're loving. There's like a selfish motive. But once you come to know God and you have this overflowing joy, you can actually love people. The, the way that God intended you to love them. And that's what it says here in 1 John 12. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. And this love we can show to others. Point number five, you can persevere through suffering. 1 Peter 
chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes, though is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. You persevere through suffering because of this hope that you have in Christ, because of this joy. And you know what? True, true, deep joy comes through periods of sorrow. Jesus, it says in Hebrews, because of the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. How did Jesus endure the cross? Because of the joy that was set before him. And that's how we endure our sufferings, because of the joy that's set before us. And you might ask, you know, this fullness of joy, this pleasures forevermore, I, I don't experience this in my life right now. I, you might wonder, okay, do I really know God? And, and you, I, you do know God, but the question is, this doesn't come full scope until you enter God's presence. Right now, the joy is mixed in with sorrow because we're not there yet, but you have a taste of it right now. The, everla- the everlasting fullness of joy comes full scope when you enter God's presence. And so, it's not always in the present, but it's, it's looking forward to what is to come. As Jesus says, looking ahead to the joy that was set before him. So, it, be encouraged that through your suffering, you can persevere because of this joy. The only everlasting joy in the universe is to know and love God. Not loving the Lord leads to only sorrow. Loving the Lord will make you indestructible forever. Loving the Lord will maximize your joy forever. Child of God, rejoice today in these promises. Let's pray. Father, this, this text, Lord, these promises, it's almost, it, it almost seems too good to be true. You know, but, it is, but it is true, Lord. It, it is the truth. Everything, everything that you say comes to pass. Everything that you promise, Lord, you fulfill. Everything that you speak is the truth. And you never mislead. And we thank you, Lord, that we can trust everything that you say because you are good, you are holy, and you never, you never lead us astray, Lord. You love us, and everything that you do is for our good. And we thank you, Lord, that through Jesus, because, because he, he, he lived a sinless life, because he died a sacrificial death on the cross, because he was raised from the dead, and, and because you know, those of us today who have, in our lives who have believed in him, we have this hope. We have this promise of eternal life. We have this joy that is maximum. We have this, these pleasures that are forevermore. And we thank you for these promises. We thank you for the hope that we have in Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.